Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is That theme song is so funky. Welcome to There It Is. I'm Jason Farr. I am your host. Let's do this. I'm so glad you're here and checking this out. Thank you for that. On this episode, the first episode of the There It Is podcast, I speak with writer, comedian, and actress Tess Rafferty. We have a great, thoughtful, and frank talk even with a couple of adult words in case you have kids or your priests around as you listen, I think you will enjoy our talk. There it is is where it is for people who want to learn more about the process of creating work, mostly comedy, but I'll also interview musicians or writers or anyone who has a process to create work, uh, especially work that is similar to comedy. I love the arts Not because entertainment helps pass the time. I love the arts because they inspire me so much. It inspires us to put our own work out. The arts also inspires us to be the people we are. The arts help us learn about ourselves and the world. It helps connect us all together. I truly believe that. It connects all of us together. How many times have you watched a TV show or listened to a song that made you think, Oh, I'm not the only one who thinks that? Like, that's that's pretty relieving to know other people think like you. Or how many times have you read a book or watched a movie or a comedian special and thought, huh, I never thought of it that way before? You see, art can be eye-opening. It can be engaging, even life-affirming. I mean, that's that's what I truly believe happens because that's what happened to me. I found out who I was by way of Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. I saw that movie, and it it told me who I was. I knew at five years old who I was because of a piece of work, some art that somebody put out. I saw Prince, and that experience helped define me as I grew older, ever since I was a little kid. I became such a nerd because of the way I listened to Prince music. That nerdiness is what is on full display with the There It Is podcast. Both of those experiences helped me see who I was. They identified for me the type of person I am. I can't, uh, I can't think about being a comedian or loving Prince without thinking about my Aunt Ruth. She passed away when I was in high school. But um, if it wasn't for my Aunt Ruth, I don't know that... I would have made these connections. When I was three, I noticed I made my Aunt Ruth laugh a lot. A lot. And uh, she had the best laugh, too. It's still one of my favorite sounds. So whenever she came to visit, I tried to make her laugh. And that was at three. So if it wasn't for that happening before I saw Ghostbusters, I don't know that I would have connected to something when I saw that movie. I don't know if I would have connected to something that has been so monumentally meaningful to me as a person my whole life. 
She is also the person who introduced me to Prince. 1984 was a pretty important year for me because not only was it the year Ghostbusters came out, but also the year Purple Rain came out. And that Purple Rain is how my Aunt Ruth brought Prince into my life. Those were the things that led to me being who I am today. And it's thanks to my Aunt Ruth. She was a crucial outlier to me becoming the person I am. See what I'm saying about how art connects us all? Recently, Prince left this thing we call life, and uh, we saw how sad it was uh, across the world. I was devastated because, uh, not only just because I loved the enigma that is Prince, but I, I, and I loved his music, of course, but he was so meaningful to me um, because he helped me inform, uh, inform myself of who I was. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to pick his brain. I wanted to get on his radar with my own work. I wanted him to know I existed because he's been so important to me in my existence. I mean, the very reason I came up with the idea to do this podcast is because I'm such a nerd and his music is what taught me how to be such a nerd and study how people create stuff. I I can remember times where I was reading the liner notes of his music, of his albums, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm a nerd. And uh, this podcast exists in part because of his impact on me. I wanted to find a way to honor Prince somehow with this podcast, so I decided to release it today, June 7th, because Prince was born on June 7th, 1958. It was a way I thought I could pay some sort of small tribute to this man who who meant so much to me uh, since I can't communicate with him or talk to him. Or so I thought. Wendy Melvoin of Wendy and Lisa from the Revolution said at his memorial service, the best way to remember him is to be creative. Being creative is how you can talk to him, she said. If you're being creative, he will talk to you. So here I am, being creative. Hey, Prince. Good to speak with you. Thank you. Alchemy Comedy Theater will be holding its third annual Comedy Marathon from June 10th through June 11th, featuring the best of Greenville comedy for 30 hours of nonstop entertainment. The marathon will kick off with a live podcast celebrating the Greenville comedy scene at 6 p.m. and continue through the night with vast sampling of various comedy forms. And we are also going to see some long form, some stand-up comedy from Greenville's No Expectations Comedy, uh, fast improv games with alchemy and laughing stock and there'll be live storytelling as well four of alchemy's performing members will take on the feat of performing in 12 improv shows in a row for the 12 hour challenge from midnight until noon putting the marathon concept to the test tickets to all shows are ten dollars with the exception of the 12 hour challenge shows which will be free and pre-show tickets can be purchased online at alchemycomedy.com that's alchemy comedy.com do you toss and turn at night because you want more of the there it is podcast are you growing despondent between episodes 
Do you often wonder where it is? I'm Jason Farr, and you may have Theritis. There is no cure for Theritis, but you can join a support group. The Theritis Foundation. Support the There It Is podcast to keep your Theritis at bay, as in B-A-E. Go to thereitispod.com and click the support button. You can support one time only or become a monthly supporter. Supporting the Theritis Foundation allows for us to keep getting the word out about Theritis through the blog on thereitispod.com and the podcast. You don't catch Theritis. Theritis catches you. But it's okay. And I should know. I, too, have Theritis. Hey, Tess. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you and your work. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's um, it's a rainy day here in Los Angeles, so I can't think of anything better to do than to sit inside and answer questions about comedy. <laughs> so it means people are probably uh, driving erratically. Yes. Losing their minds. <laughs> Where are you from, Tess? I've never, I don't think I've ever heard this. I, I grew up in Delaware, but I um, I really started, I went to college and really started performing comedy in Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, Delaware. Uh, so when did you get bit by the comedy bug? Like what made you, st- did you, when you were little, did you see Ghostbusters like me and then just want to do comedy or what, what was it for you? You know, um, that's really interesting because I, I mean, I always enjoyed comedies. I always really liked comedies. Um, I, I came at it more from, you know, I, and I think I was always, you know, you know what, I guess I, you know where I got bit by the comedy bug? MASH reruns. Oh, like, wow. Like, yeah. I, like I used to watch as a kid, I would watch MASH reruns with my dad. And so I grew up with a very... You know, if you think about Alan Alda in, in, in general, the dialogue and jokes in MASH, um, they're so layered. There's like one joke on top of another. And a lot of times the jokes are, you know, half the jokes are asides or under mm-hmm. the breath or, or whatever. It's just so much going on. And so I think I always developed like I, I think it shows in my writing and it shows in, you know, when I'm talking to other people and stuff. It, it's like I, I always feel like that's what developed, developed my sense of humor more than anything. Um, oh, wow. You know, and and too many um, too many viewings of Tootsie as a kid when it was on cable, <laughs> like the exact same thing. You know, Larry well, Larry Gelbart's both Mash and Tootsie, and he's got that really layered. Like, if I had to trace the origin story in my head, I think of it as being Mash and Alan Alda and Dustin Hoffman from Tootsie, but it's really Larry Gelbart when I think of, I'm thinking about it right now, who um, you know is um, was just a fantastic writer who I think. Died like a year or two ago, last couple of years for sure, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, um, but so I always really appreciated that stuff. I think I spent a long time not thinking I could be funny. Um, like I think I would thought I was maybe funny with my friends or something. Um, you know, I started out as an acting major and then I started writing because I hated the parts that were available for women. I just thought they were all someone's mother, whore, maid, or wife. Like, they weren't fully actualized people on their own. That is common, yes. Uh, Even in politics and how people discuss the politicians, you see some of that. Uh, Take, for instance, referring to Hillary Clinton's voice as shrill, but it's not a shrill voice. They don't say that about Ted Cruz, whose voice is actually shrill. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So... 
I mean, people or hate Bernie Sanders, who actually is yelling at people. <laughs> Right, like, right. Like he's actually yelling at people. There have been comedy sketches documenting this mm-hmm. fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. The comedy in the comedy world, people are definitely pointing it out. But you don't. And yes, the media has been weird towards Bernie Sanders to a certain degree. weren't taking. He was just a crazy-haired weirdo. You know, like that was how they treated him for so long. And then when he started doing better, then they started speaking of him a little more legitimately. But uh, they definitely don't talk about in outside of comedy his voice, whereas people outside of no one in comedy is saying anything negative about Hillary Clinton's voice, but people outside of comedy are, and that's telling. Yeah, because in comedy you need some basis of reality in order to make fun of it. Yeah. Like if yeah. it does, you know, the biggest thing about a joke is that if you're making fun of Hillary and you're using a voice that she doesn't use, it doesn't track. Right. You know, it doesn't it just doesn't it doesn't fit like there's no joke there if people don't find it to be a truth right. or, you know, something that you're making fun of. Now, when it came to her and her like people would make jokes about her pantsuits, which you don't hear so much anymore. But in recent memory, people would make jokes about her pantsuits, but they weren't making fun of men's outfits. No, this is my biggest this is my biggest pet peeve is that like and I can't believe I have to even preface it with this, but. I have never supported Sarah Palin. I would never vote for Sarah Palin. I think she's a big idiot. Like I, I, you know, like I don't, I am not a supporter of Sarah Palin. However, I took so much shit. Can I say shit? Can you? Yeah, I don't care. I I took so much crap from friends last election cycle because I'm like, why are we talking about her? Like we would never talk about a male candidate. You know, like, why is it a story? Like, everyone's like, oh, did you hear how much she spent on her clothes? Well, how much did, you know, Joe Biden spend on his clothes? That's not a story. That's true. You know, like, it's, we, you know, we're talking about her daughter being an, uh, you know, an unwed teen mom, which, yes, is ironic if you're the party of anti-abortion, anti, you know, birth control. But I don't know what other candidates out there have unwed teen moms as daughters because no one's talking about it. Like, no one's putting... Like, like their paternal fatherly skills on, you know, on trial. In an yeah. Election. Yeah. And it's definitely. I mean, I know there was some talk about John Edwards, but there's still certainly a lot more being said about women than than men in these sort of ways. John Edwards had an affair, which is different. And that didn't even come out until after the elect. After True. The, I was know. talking about like people would call him a pretty boy. And there were some jokes about how much he was spending mm. on haircuts. <laughs> really? I don't remember yeah. that. But I believe you because you're from uh, his neck of the woods. Yeah. I, it's, it wasn't nearly as common as the stuff you were mentioning about Sarah Palin and her yeah. clothes and how much she was spending on clothes. Um, there's been a lot of talk about political correctness. Lately, and a lot of comics have have been saying things about political correctness, and there seems to be amongst people that I hear talking about it. You have people saying there isn't a problem. The only people who say that there is an issue with political correctness are people who want to say terrible things and and don't don't get it. And they and I have heard a lot of people who seem to get it who are saying, well, that's going a bit too far. <laughs> That's not <laughs> political correctness. That's being weird. And uh, and the president even spoke about this this past September about how there are certain colleges where the students didn't like someone who was booked to speak 
because they didn't agree with that person's ideologies. And so they would kind of protest until the invitation was rescinded. Yeah. Uh, And he was saying, that's not how you learn. You know, let people come just because you don't need to be coddled just because someone disagrees with you. Let them come in and speak. If you disagree with them, then argue. But right. You know, or hear their point of view or something. Right. And so what is your opinion, though? I mean, and I'm, I'm talking about, I think, well, Chris Rock said something about uh, there being a weird political correctness thing. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld said there is a weird political correctness thing going on where people are going a bit too far with with that. What do you think about I that? I think it's almost two different situations mm-hmm. or maybe it's just like opposite sides of a spectrum. I think I, first of all, I hate the term political correctness because I feel like it immediately has a negative connotation. Yeah. It's definitely oh. a, a hotbed. T- uh, it's a buzzword. And the truth is, is that of course white guys don't like what they call political correctness because it's been telling white guys like, hey, you can't say that anymore for mm-hmm. years. You yeah. Know? yeah. And that's important because as you and I both know, if it wasn't for pointing out like, hey, you can't really say that, they'd be calling you and I horrible things. Right. You know? Like right. there's no one to, to point out like, hey, we don't like that word. You know, mm-hmm. they would be saying that about whomever, whenever they wouldn't know any better, you know, like, Hey, you know, it's like, it's like, look, it's the way we, you know, it's the way we know not, it's the way we now look at, you know, tranny as a derogatory term. Right. Oh, that's, you know, I, I lose nothing by being told like, Hey, that's not a good word to use. You know what I mean? Like, I, like that's, that's good, good for me. Now I know now someone from another group that I'm not part of is saying, I don't like that word. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, no problem. I can use another word. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's, I, I think that did actually wrote a blog post about this too, about how I really wish I could find another word for political correctness, you know, because it's the only way that there's progress is to go, Hey, you can't say that, you know, um, like, look, do I think, you know, and, and even with the thing about the speakers on a campus, Mm -hmm. do I think, you know, do I think, um, a member of a neo-Nazi party should come speak to a college campus? Like, no. Right. Exactly. There's still going to be a limit. Yeah. I don't think they should be given a forum personally. Like they should, they, they should have one where they can find one because it's a free country, but I wouldn't want my college you know, giving them a forum. Right. But yeah, if it's just like, you know, you, you do read about like, you know, oh, you can't give me a B because I find that a trigger. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you can't fail me on this test because that's a trigger for me. But you read like these extreme examples, like you said, you know, within reason, no, you should have different people's points of view. I mean, it's a, it's a slippery slope. Like, you know. Yeah, that's certainly fair. I mean, obviously you're going to draw a line. I think, um, I think the sort of examples of people not being allowed at a college, uh, it it was some thinker, but the people there were people at the school didn't think like that person, so they didn't like it. Like maybe there were a lot of liberal students at the school, and uh, it was a conservative that was going to come. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, 
someone ridiculous that would come. It'd be someone who's sensible enough, but they just don't agree with them. And it, I, it does hurt dialogue to just shut people down and not listen to what they have to say. Like, Absolutely. And, you know, I think in our own personal lives, you know, we all have friends across the political spectrum, just for an example, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I'd like to not, you know what I mean? And it's important to like, I've been really trying hard for like my Republican friends because, you know, a lot of my friends are liberal, you know, but I do have, you know, I have, I have a fair amount of Republican friends and it's like, I've been trying to like, I want, want to let them know I res- I respect where they're coming from, you know, yeah. because, like after the election's over, we all still have to get along. We all still have to be friends. Like I mm-hmm. want to get them out. I want to, you know, I just, I feel, so I, yeah, I mean, I do agree with you that you can't, you can't shut the rest of the world out because you're going to meet all kinds of people with different thoughts and beliefs and you're going to have to have to work with them or live with them or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, go to school alongside of them. And so, yeah, you have to find out how you can have a dialogue, like you said, how you can respect someone else's opinion while disagreeing with it or, you know, respect their right to have one. I mean, it, it gets hard in that, there are some very specific things like this came up when Scalia died. Mm-hmm. There are very, some very specific opinions that happen to infringe on like my civil rights or your civil rights or, you know, and and that that becomes tricky because it's like you can't live and let live when your versioning your when your version of living doesn't let me live. Right. <laughs> Um, it, I mean, those things are tougher, but, but I think other than in extreme situations, yes, you have to, we all have to get along and share this planet. So it's a good thing to, you know, be exposed to that and learn how, learn how to like live with it. Right. From a comedic point of view, uh, when it comes to, uh, the talk about political correctness, um, do you see it as uh, the issue that some have, have seen it? Do you, like like when Jerry Seinfeld says there's a weird PC thing going on right now at, at certain colleges, especially, but just almost in general. Uh, do you see like where where is your stance on that? Is there some when someone Jerry Seinfeld when like, someone like Jerry Seinfeld complains about it? I'm like, really, you're gonna go do a college? You know what I mean? It's like, it's so irrelevant to me to hear what Jerry Seinfeld thinks about political correctness on college campuses. He, is he doing a college tour this year? You know, like... Well, his point, and uh, and this was something that was sort of lost in the discussion. Um, uh, he was in an interview, and the interviewer asked him if he would do a college. And he said, no, I, st- I stopped doing them a long time ago because... A lot of my comedian friends who had been going to them said, stay away from colleges. So I don't think he was any time like around when he made that statement would have considered going to a college because he's, he's, you know, he's out of that era. But, um, you know, he he can do what anything huge that he wants to do. He's doing a residency in New York City right now. I mean, that guy's not going to do a college. It's just funny, like, you know. I think it's a more interesting discussion coming from someone like Chris Rock than Jerry Seinfeld. And why is that? It's like, are, because, you know, at the end of the day, Jerry Seinfeld's humor is offensive to no one. 
You know what I mean? Is like someone going to get offended by a serial bit? I mean, I don't know. I honestly, I just find him irrelevant to the discussion. Mm. And I find Chris Rock more relevant to the discussion because he because is still he is. Up doing comedy, you know, and he is someone who has something to say. Who he courts controversy more. Yeah, I mean... He's envelope pushing and Seinfeld isn't, yeah, I don't so... Know, I don't know that he's doing it on purpose or that's just his humor and that's how he makes his point. But yeah, for for sure, he's going to say more things mm-hmm. that are going to piss off more people or that might piss off people and is, and is in his way of getting to whatever mm-hmm. his, you know, his message is, whatever his point is. There was a friend of mine who's a stand-up and uh, she's the head writer of something right now. And she <laughs> wrote a tweet saying a couple years ago, a year or two ago, saying, uh, I likey, likey, lie, the the singer. Mm-hmm. And somebody tweeted to her, that's racist. <laughs> and to me, that's a perfect example of when people take legitimate PC standards and blow them out of proportion. Right. And to me, when I hear a, a Jerry Seinfeld say, like, there's something weird kind of going on there, I think of situations like that. But, you know, here's what I also think and what I've also learned in the last couple of years of my life is that you take that tweet, you know, you take that tweet from your friend, you know, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, I'm not going to tell you whether or not that's racist or not. I can't weigh in on that. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like somebody might find it like it's not it's not for me to say you know it's like i feel like if you're not and then this is where i think we get into trouble if you're not part of the aggrieved group who how do you know if it's sexist or not how do you know if it's racist or not mm-hmm. you know you know what i mean like i can't that's a very I, valid point i, I bring I, the same experience like and then like look if you don't think it's racist and someone else does and you guys want to have that discussion that's totally you know what I mean? That's that's up to you and stuff, and that's that's both of your prerogatives. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, I, I I went through this. I had this discussion about a year ago when um, that Will Ferrell movie about prison came out, and uh, Get Hard. Yes, and and there was a couple of gay men I knew who were offended by certain aspects of it, and I heard a lot of straight white dudes talking about why it wasn't homophobic. And I'm like, how would yeah, you know? How could you say? Yeah. How that's... could you say? And they mm-hmm. were so entrenched in their opinion. And it was like, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, instead of, you know what I mean? And they were almost like, well, what's your problem with? And I'm like, no, I'm just saying I'm not a gay man. So I, I'm not, it's not for me to say whether or not I might find it offensive if I was a gay man. I can't say. Instead, why don't I listen? Why don't I go, why do you think that's sexist? You know, I, I'm not saying it's not. Why is it? Mm-hmm. You know, if you I feel like if we all shut the fuck up more about opinions and just asked more questions, like we'd be better off. Absolutely. More That's, of a dialogue. Right. You know, um, I, I totally agree. It would just be so much better if people would listen and ask questions. I think I know you're making me think because you're right. I can't say, oh, well, that's not sexist or homophobic uh or whatever like whatever group i'm not in i can't talk about it no there's so much context Mm -hmm. like um you know what i mean and that's what i think when you're not part of the aggrieved party let's just say the aggrieved party there's probably a better word but 
that's not, a fair one. That's fair. You know, when you're not part of the aggrieved party, you don't have the right context to judge. You know what I mean? Like, and and in one comment, there is not always necessarily the context that there is that makes something sexist. You know, so it's like not your fault if you don't know. Um, you, you know, I, I'm looking at this OJ verdict. I'm going to regret probably talking about this. I'm looking at this OJ verdict in such a different light now. Me too. I was in high school. Oh, yeah. I so mean, what it, did I know? But but also, like, like, look, do I think he did it? Yes. Mm-hmm. But given everything, as a, as a white person in America, given everything that I have seen happen in just the last few years... Um, and like, and then you really, and just having the maturity to really put it in context with the, you know, the, just the, the LAPD and Rodney King and everything. I'm like, oh yeah, I can see where there's just an institutional distrust of cops in Los mm-hmm. Angeles in that period of time. There's an institutional distrust of cops right now, you know? Yeah. It's like. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm, you know what I mean? I don't, I, I, I can, you know, I don't have a problem seeing a world where people were like, yeah, I think the cops, you know, I think a racist cop, a proven racist cop would lie and plan evidence. You know, if you want to talk reasonable doubt or something. Right. Again, I don't, I think he did it. I'm just right. saying that. It, I was, I had the same reaction of, there is that reasonable doubt there, but it's hard to imagine he didn't do it too. You know, like, but it, it yeah, I get the distrust. Uh, well, let's circle back around to your comedy career. Though. <laughs> I know. Let's talk about writing comedy instead of <laughs> so, whether or uh, not Jay deserved a walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you were uh, uh, the the comedy bug bit you. Uh, because of MASH, and then you went to college in Boston, and that's where you started doing comedy. I did. Um, I, you know, I, I was an acting major, and like I said, I, which, which got us off on this tangent, I hated the roles for women, mm-hmm. so I just started writing my own, um, my own scripts, uh, my own pieces that kind of ended up becoming, you know, a lot of which became stand-up, basically. Awesome. So that's how, and you know, and the scripts I wrote were funny, um, but it was still hard. Like, I think even when I was being funny, it wasn't easy for me to say that, you know, I thought I was funny. Um, Why but, is that? Uh, you know, I think that there's just um, a sense of like, that's what other people do, or that's what guys do, I think very much plays into it. Like, hmm. Guys do stand up. Guys are funny. Guys are writers. You know, um, you know, maybe just not having a ton of female role models to sort of choose from in that, you know, those areas, um, especially at the time. You know, now if I was doing it all over again, there'd probably, you know, I'd it'd be totally different. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah. So um, so I started doing comedy in Boston, which eventually led me to move out to Los Angeles. Um. And when did you go out to Los Angeles? Oh, Christ. <laughs> um, I've been here since like the late, since like 98. Oh, wow. 99, yeah. A long time now. It's the longest, longest I think I've lived anywhere else. Anywhere, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I like it here. 
Yeah, that's great. And so, what was what did you first start doing uh, comedy wise, like like professionally when you're in L.A.? You mean like where or where and what? Like what? Uh, what were you just doing stand up at the time? Well, I always did sketch too. Um, you know, so I would I would do some sketch stuff. I did some short films with people. Um, I was doing a lot of stand up. And I was writing scripts. You know, writing kind of keeps me sane in a weird way. When I when I have downtime, like when nothing's happening, like I'm not working, or mm-hmm. maybe I am working, but like I'm not. You know, I'm not work. I'm doing it. You know, back then I was just doing day jobs and stuff, so I wasn't really. You know, nothing was happening professionally except I was doing stand up every night. Um, you know, writing in my downtime just kind of keeps me, keeps my mind busy. So I'm not like waking up in the middle of the night with night terrors, wondering what's going to happen to me. (laughs) You know? Um, so, uh, so I was always writing scripts back then and I would do readings at my house and, you know, I think one of them we made into a short film and, you know, just kind of just trying to stay busy. You know, just, it's like just churning enough material out so that eventually, you know, eventually when someone asks to see something, you'll have something to show them. What was your first um, bona fide job? Or or was stand-up, were you getting money from stand-up where you can live full-time off that? Or what? what? Oh, God, oh God, no. I mean, okay. I, was, I, would, I would get paid from stand-up, you know, um, but never, never enough that I was going to live on it. Um, and I had a couple of smaller writing gigs, different blogs and stuff, you know, writing jokes for people. But my first real gig was the suit, really. Yeah, and that's where I came to uh, know and love your work, <laughs> was, uh, was seeing you on the soup. I always got a kick of uh, seeing you on there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a fun gig. Um, it was a fun gig. I did it for a long time, you know. What was your role there? I know you were on camera and uh, you were famously the uh, dancing tampon. The dancing um, maxi pad. The dancing maxi pad, I mean, <laughs> and uh, which was hilarious. But there are other like hilarious things you did on there. But uh, what did you write jokes for it, and then also do this the bits on there? What were what was your oh yeah, I was like? primarily just a writer on the show. Um, you know, I I was a staff writer for seven and a half years, um, and actually. I, I think I think I, I think I somewhere in there I was a supervising producer too. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, all the material in terms of like everything you saw on stage that came out of Joel's mouth was more or less written by writers, and so I was just one of those people. You know, all the bits that got pitched that we did, and just want you know, I so I, that's what I did for for seven and a half years. So, what is the process of of that show? Now, I know it's not on anymore, unfortunately, but oh. I do know, oh, for I understand, I mean, it's it's watching a lot of clips and then just coming up with jokes for them. But, I mean, how does that, how, well, what is that process for real? I mean, we would look at the day stories every day and kind of write jokes about it or, or talk about how we were going to cover sort of like, you know, the, the entertainment news stories that were always at the beginning of the show. Um, and then every afternoon we would, um, like everybody watched shows. And so every afternoon we would, bringing clips from the shows we were watching and, you know, talk about which ones would work and how they would work and stuff. And then we would write, you know, the intro and the outro joke and stuff around those, around those clips. Um, and that's what we basically did three days a week. And then, 
on the fourth day, we usually, for the most of the time, we usually taped on the fourth day on Thursdays. Um, so that was like when we just would kind of tighten the script, hone the script, put in anything last minute that was breaking, throw out anything that wasn't working, um, you know, tape the show. And then Fridays were always kind of the day where we kind of looked to the week ahead and, you know, sort of like what movies were coming out, what stories were breaking, you know, what big events were, were happening, that sort of thing. And what did you transition to after that? And I know you've written a book. I did. I wrote a book called Recipes for Disaster, which is a memoir about dinner parties I threw and what went wrong. <laughs> um, and a great concept. Thank you very much. Thanks. Unfortunately, it came out, it was published the day of an actual disaster, which was Hurricane Sandy. Um, so nobody wanted to read my stories about how a runny polenta ruined my dinner party in the wake of <laughs> an actual disaster. Right, right. Sort of right. a bit gauche after that. So um, yeah. People should run out and buy it now, though. Yes, you can get, even get it on Audible. I read it on Audible. All, oh, fun. Yeah, all of it by myself. Um, yeah, I did that. You know, I had a screenplay that was optioned in there. I, you know, have been... You know, I'm still I've still done staff writing since then on you know a variety of projects. Um, at midnight, yeah, um, that's right. I saw um, that. Comedy Central roast of Roseanne. Um, you know, just other things, and I'm still out there just writing scripts, pitching them. I'm working on some new books. You know, it's just you. It's the same thing I've always done. It's like you just keep churning stuff out so that you have stuff to show people when they want to when they ask to see it. What would you say is your primary uh comedic style like i mean would you say you're primarily a stand-up or primarily a joke writer for tv shows or or what what would you say i don't know it always changes when i got the job at the soup i had done i was doing so much like script writing that i didn't think i could be a joke writer Mm -hmm. and then i was surprised that i actually could do it and i really liked it and i did it for years you know and now it feels like you know, I just wrote two books. I, you know, been writing more on like, you know, actual scripts. It just feels like, you know, it's, it's fluid. It always changes. You know, I get away from stand up from time to time and then, you know, I get back into it. And I mean, I always love it when I do it. I just don't, you know, go through periods where I can't do it as much. Right. Working on other stuff. Right. Right. You no. Know? So it's pretty fluid. Well, uh, at this point of the show, this is when I like to uh, wind down and uh, uh, write something with the the guest. Um, I don't know if you would like to uh, try to write a joke or uh, pitch an idea for a sketch. Should we write an OJ joke? What do you want to write a joke about? Oh, gosh. Yeah, well, I was looking through the news and there's some interesting article. There was... Uh, there's an article about NASA is NASA is going to uh, scrap uh, uh, sending something to Mars. Of course, there's the easy joke there is so no one's going to go pick up Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was also so the this Hulk Hogan trial is going on, and I saw a headline that said why Hulk Hogan's penis is going to be such a major part of this trial. And I just, that's just a ridiculous headline. Uh, so that stood out. Um, uh, but yeah. So why Hulk, Hulk Hogan's penis is going to be such a major part of this trial. Um, 
Wow. I know his, his penis is black. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it could say uh, uh, his penis rips off underwear like Hulk Hogan would rip his shirt off. Uh, um, no, I'm just thinking like, why would somebody unfairly be part of a trial? I, you know, I don't know. Um, like that's, that's where my head goes is why would, why would someone be on trial? Like why would, um, cause he was, um, he was arrested in Wisconsin. Where's that place in Wisconsin where, um, making a murderer took place? Oh, uh, I don't know. I actually haven't seen making a murderer yet. I am so behind. Don't see. I, I had to bail. I hate, I, and in, in just, I, I just, I had to bail on it. Um, oh yeah, is it too frustrating? It, it is frustrating. Like I, I don't know what happens after. All I know is I can't. It's watching a man who was imprisoned unfairly for eighteen years is just not my idea of a relaxing evening at home with Netflix. Not chill with that Netflix viewing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like why is why is Hulk Hogan's penis on trial? Um. Uh, Hannibal Burris did a joke about it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, what's the process when you're trying to uh, uh, come up with jokes in a well, writer's room? I mean, I mean, like just like look in the you know I I'm li- I like this because then I can explain my joke and hopefully I won't seem weirdly racist. Like <laughs> I look at it like you're like why is Hulk Hogan's penis being part of this trial? And mm-hmm. I and in my head where my head goes is oh well like who's who's been unfairly put on trial or I mean, not like Cosby or, 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 or who's someone who's on trial. Why are they on trial? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's why I said his penis is black. Cause it's like, uh, well, because like he's been the arrested. Justice, <laughs> the justice system is unfair. To unfair unfair to black black people. I get it. That's like, that's where my, <laughs> that's where my head starts to go. I, I know. Oh I, yeah. So it's like, it was driving while black. Um, yeah, driving. Yeah. That, that, you know what? And that, there you go. That's, that takes my idea and it like brings it just a little bit clearer. Like, why is Hulk, why is Hulk Hogan's penis going to be part of this trial? Because he was driving while black, you know? Like, like, or he was at a Trump rally. Yeah, like like something, <laughs> you know, um, always a mark of a good joke where you have to explain it five minutes later and then someone laughs, by the way. Um, but like, that's where my head goes. Like, why, why is it, you know, like, that's why I did the Hannibal thing. Because now Bill Cosby's on trial because Hannibal made a joke about him, you know? Right, right. Um, so like that's just kind of my process when I like it's like it's almost like a riddle like you know you're you're asking yourself like sometimes you read a a headline and the jokes right there like the joke just comes to you um right. I there was one headline a couple of months back where it was um about a woman born with a rare disorder where she can't feel pain mm-hmm. and a 39 year old woman was born with a disorder where she can't feel pain. She was able to feel pain for the first time in her life when they injected her with an experimental drug and then told her that no one wants to date a 39-year-old woman. <laughs> like that to me is something when I read it on the page, it's like it's it's like my head, it's like that's the my head goes there and finishes it. Sometimes <laughs> like I said, sometimes it's more like a riddle where you're going, okay, why like you're like, okay, there's something there why the penis is on trial. Yeah, why like, is this funny? Like what yeah, what is uh, he wouldn't, you know, because he wouldn't stand his ground. Like, you know what I mean? You just <laughs> And so, like, in my head, I start shooting out, like, especially if I'm pitching out in a room where, like, we need a joke now. In my head, I start going through the, you know, and then I might go, well, is there something funnier than stand their ground that's a double entendre with a penis, you know? Um, like, yeah. Uh, because, uh, 
um, because he shot first, you know, like I, I might go like if I'm <laughs> and I go down that road. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so uh, if it's uh, um, it's a stand your ground, and he shot first, um, or if it's like I don't know, he got pulled over by the cops and he shot first. Yeah. Um, There's a double entendre there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something like that. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how. That's how. That's the way I know how to do it, and it's different for everybody. Right. You know? but, but if I have, to, yeah. That's good information, though. <laughs> um. <laughs> so what? What direction? If we were pitching jokes for a show, uh, which direction would you take it? Would Would you go with the uh, why he's on trial or the? Uh, Oh, I guess that was that was the one take. But uh, was it the because he was driving while black or? That's something I might use. I might try to find a sexual, you know, thing in there too. Um, uh, you know, maybe something about shooting first. Um, uh, they didn't know he was shooting blanks. You know, like, um, you know, just something like that. Yeah, those are like those are probably the two places I would go with first with it. You know, <laughs> you know, calling claps racist and then a dirty joke. You know? <laughs> well, there it is. You can't, you can't fail. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Uh, well, it's so great having you on. I appreciate you doing the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, this was a lot of fun. What a fun episode, right? I, I really enjoyed that talk. I think we got into some good stuff. And I think I learned more about how to express myself, about my experience, and not try to talk about what other people go through. I really liked uh, her point about if you're not a part of the aggrieved party, then maybe you can't say if something is sexist or not. And that's a valid point. I can talk about my experience, but I can't talk about your experience. I can advocate for you to talk about your experience and to have that freedom, but I can't necessarily... Uh, uh, tell you what is or isn't true about what you're going through. I should talk about what I'm going through. Write what you know, you know? Great talk with Tess. You can buy her book, Recipes for Disaster, as a hardcover, or you can get it on your Kindle. An audiobook is also available on audible.com. Find out more about Tess at tessrafferty.com. That's T-E-S-S-R-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y.com. Would you like to support the podcast? You can. Go to thereitispod.com and click on support. You can donate one time or monthly. Support goes to allowing me to keep doing this, as well as buying new equipment, hosting fees, and the like. Today's episode was sponsored in part by the early support of wonderful people like John Evans, Namaka Farr, Zan Farr, Della Scott, Tom Housley, Rhonda Housley, Eowyn Dean, Mandy Roberts, Everyone who took part in and attended the Fun the Far show last year and Justina Sparling. Without you, this couldn't have happened. So thank you so, so much. May you all have theiritis. I really hope that's not a real medical condition. The next episode is a fun one. Another fun one. I interview comedian Corey Cavan. Check it out. Until next time, this has been There It Is. Be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.